So I go to this house, it's got the, all, all the low rider showcase cars outside the house. Short guy's brother, bald head, um, looking at me with this mean face. And he's, he's suspicious, you know. They've got a camera watching the street and all this. But here's my English accent. He's like, damn, you talk funny. I guess you are from England. Come in and meet my homeboys. So go in the living room. Massive, tattooed Mexican-American guys. Chains, wife Peter shirts, shorts down below the knees, prison tats, guns, slabs of coke, slabs of meth, weighing scales. Biggest TV I've ever seen in my life. A TV showing the whole comings and goings on the street. I look at the big TV. I do a double take. Rocket propel grenade launch on top of the TV. You're joking me. No, these were serious. I didn't even know who they were, but I knew it was a lethal atmosphere and I got in and out of there very quickly. Mm. It was only two years later when they got arrested and they were headline news. I knew they were New Mexican Mafia. Welcome to the Eventful Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Bournemouth Sevens Festival and the revolutionary Event Crowd, our new online events course. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. So if you want to hear more like this, make sure you subscribe, leave us a glowing review, and you can follow me on Instagram at Dodge Woodall. I reply to every single message. How does a young lad from Widnes go from the stocks trade to the drugs trade, mixing with Mexican cartels, the mafia, and neo-Nazis in one of the toughest prisons in the US? That's where Sean Atwood found himself after becoming a kingpin and building a drug trafficking empire from Arizona. Sentenced to nine and a half years, Sean was incarcerated with some of the most dangerous inmates imaginable. But by using his alliances, quick wits and his English accent, he came out the other end to tell the tale. He's now a very successful YouTuber, podcaster and speaker, sharing his experiences and advocating against drugs and crime. This is the extremely eventful life of Mr. Sean Atwood. Sean, welcome to the show, mate. Man, I'm blown away by your story <laughs> that I've listened to on the way here. University, hustling, raves, clubs, festivals. So yeah, mate. well done on yeah, your mate. festival success <laughs> and your podcast success. Yeah, thank you, mate. It's, um, it's blown up out of nowhere. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. Ex- we weren't expecting this at all. When we did this in lockdown, we thought, oh, I'll give it a go. This pod- I didn't know what a podcast was two years ago. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, let's do a podcast, tell the story, get some wicked guests on. Yeah. Ended up co-host the Harry Redknapp show as well on the back of this podcast and all of a sudden, yeah. Sidemen, everything. Yeah. You're everywhere. Sun. Yeah, madness, mate. But all fun. A load of fun. Definitely. Anyway, it ain't about me. This is about you. <laughs> Sean, let's... Um, <clears throat> Let's roll all the way back. Where did you grow up and how on earth did you end up in the, one of the toughest American prisons? All right, so I grew up in Widnes, a chemical manufacturing town between Liverpool and Manchester. And I was always a nerdy uh, business economics graduate student following the stock market 14, investing at 16. But I had a maniac best friend, R.I.P. Wildman. He died just over two years ago because he, he did live fast and hard. Um, so wild man, he suddenly grew massive in his school. He was two years younger than me. Yeah. And I'd already took him under my wing, but that, that's a big age difference when you're kids. Mm. So he was picking school teachers up, putting them in rubbish bins, and the school got so scared of him, they had him outside raking le- leaves with the caretaker. <laughs> so he's got red dots in his head telling him to hurt people. That was his thing that he told us at that age. Now, at the top of my town, there's a quarry overlooking uh it's a hill pex hill quarry and there's trees around the rim so we had a tree called the thinking tree and we'd sit up there me wild man and wild man's cousin hammy 
and we'd plan what we were going to do, you know, when we grow up. So they'd say to me, what are you going to do? And you go, I'm going to go to America and make a million in the stock market and fly you guys over. Well, man, what are you going to do when you grow up? I've got red dots in my head telling me to hurt people. I'm going to end up in prison. And both of those things is exactly what happened. Yeah, and he was a big fella as well. When yeah. he died, he was 29 and a half stone and six foot two. 29 and a half yeah, stone? Yeah, it was like a wall coming at you. Of... of- not muscle. No, no, he had the Big physique love. of a bird. Because when he was on the run, we put him in Mexico. Was he roided up? Was he just bigger? No, than, no, like, he was just naturally. He was just a big man. His shoulders were like this. His okay. fists were twice the size yeah, of mine. Okay. He punched one guy so hard in America that his tooth got so deeply embedded between his knuckles, <laughs> he couldn't get it out. So he, he goes to the hospital, and he hates his hospitals. He said he was self-healing. And he's in an argument with the nurse. The nurse is like, how did you do that? And he's like, how did you fucking think? I can punch someone in the face. <laughs> can you get it out? And she's like, she gets it out. And uh, she was like, it got really painful. And she told him to come back for stitches. And he just walked out the hospital. He had fishing wire at home. Told her, <laughs> he just it did out. it himself. Did it, <laughs> did it himself. Quality. Yeah, yeah. But to answer your question, wild man became my crime partner, my best friend, my bodyguard. I did fly him out to Arizona after he got out of prison. So, so, so let's just roll a little bit back there. You yeah. say you earned, how were you earning a pound note at the age of 18, 19, 20? All right, so I was 16 and British Telecom privatisation was advertised under Margaret Thatcher's government. So I went to my dad and said, can you give me 50 quid for this? Because my economics teacher saw I had an aptitude and he, he was giving me classes on my own, yeah. explaining all the numbers in the Financial Times and all that stuff. My dad says, bugger off, we're not bloody conservatives, not bloody Tories, like your nan. And then a light bulb goes off, me nan. So I run down to me nan's house, I said, can I get 50 quid to put in this? She's like, of course you can, she loved Maggie. Yeah. So, so it doubled first day of dealings, didn't okay. it? I didn't grow up with any money. I go down Witness Library, order dozens of books on the stock market, and I just become obsessed with it. I've got this manic energy. And if I'm into something, I just get tunnel vision. Yeah. I just throw all the energy into it, and that's what I did. And did you do that? Did you learn off anyone? Did you have a mentor? Did you go, right, okay, I'm going to go and earn a pound note, uh, but I know someone who's actually smashing it, so I'm going to follow that. Right, so visiting my aunt in Arizona when I was a teenager, um, my aunt took me to the mall, and I bought this book called Secrets for Profiting in Bull and Burr Markets by Stan Weinstein. Mm. So as a kid, I'm reading this book over and over again. He was my hero. But then later on, when I'm working in the stock market, he did start to mentor me over the phone. Right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. then, so, so were you out in Arizona? Did you stay in Arizona? Did you come back? No, I was, I was an illegal alien stockbroker. Okay. So I couldn't leave the country. Well, man, he got deported by like three or four times. He was classified as a menace to society. So I had to send, min- <laughs> I had to send Mission Impossible style teams of people through Canada and Mexico to keep smuggling him back, back in. in. So how old were you when you moved to Arizona? All right, so I'll tell you why I was dazzled by Arizona. Yeah. My aunt, I had two aunts out there. When the plane comes into land, mm. you see all the swimming pools in yeah. the backyards. Yeah. We'd drive through like what was called Paradise Valley. You'd see all the million dollar houses mm. in the mountains. And I was like, I'm going to have one of them one of these days. And um, they just roll out the red carpet. They hear the English accent. My aunt, I think I was 16. She changed my date of birth and my passport, so I was 21. So you can never drink. Took me out night yeah, clubbing. Quality, yeah. And he's introducing me to all these American women as yeah. Paul McCartney's nephew. <laughs> <laughs> So all these, you know, I'm just a nobody from Witness Chemical Manufacturing Town. All of a sudden, Paul McCartney's nephew. All these beautiful American women that are all over me. I want some of this when yeah, I finish mate. university. So your aunt, best wing woman ever. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> What's yeah, her yeah, name? Yeah. What's her name? She doesn't want a name mentioned. Okay, yeah. fair play. What year are we talking here? 
All right, so that was, I was, I was born in 1968 and I moved to America. I, I did Glastonbury after I finished at university and then I went to, um, to Arizona in 1991. 91, and roughly how old were you? Early 20s. Early 20s. Yeah. So you were Arizona, you saw the lights, the bright lights. Were you trading out there then? So I wanted to be an investment analyst, yeah. but you have to go to New York for that. Yeah. So Arizona has a lot of money, so they have a lot of stockbroker positions. And I got hired right away by a penny stock firm. I didn't know it was a penny stock firm. Straight out of Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Six in the morning sales meeting. The the boss was like this mafia looking figure. And um, he'd bring in these heavy hitting like sales producers to school us rookies. And they'd be punching the table, punching the board. You're only as big as your numbers are on this board for the month. Smiling brokers make the most money. Pacing brokers make the most money. Have mirrors on your desk to smile at. Get 24 foot curly cords to pace with. The fucking whole office, everyone was pacing like crazy on these cords. Like you had to limbo on the... On the on the. Yeah, yeah but I, I loved it, man, because yeah. I watched Wall Street. Yeah. And I thought greed was good. My aunt, who mentored me, said, it's fuck off, we fucked in the business world. So greed is good. It's fuck off, we fucked in the business world were my mantras. Caveat on that now. <laughs> I ended up losing everything through my bad choices. And while I was incarcerated, I realized that money is not the meaning of life. Yeah. Happiness is in the heart. Yeah, and what your thoughts make it. So yeah. where, where, where were you? What sort of lifestyle were you living when you took a different path of... Being on the stockbroker, earning a pound note that way. What made you flip to the other route? To All right, the so the first two years as a stockbroker, I was it was commission only. Yeah, I was living off cheese and toast and bananas. Mm. Worried I was going to have to come home. Mm. Five years in, I was the top guy, grossing half a million. Got my own staff, secretary, cold callers. But I'm burnt out from working mm. working these long hours, and I'm getting more and more into the party scene. Yeah, and um, there was a point where I was in the car park outside the office, and I started to get involved in drugs. And I was counting all this cash. And the boss's secretary, she, she like gets in the car next to me and she's looking over. So the next day I get pulled into a meeting with the boss. And he's like, Sean, you were at a crossroads in your life right yeah. now. You can choose the right thing and go up here and just elevate yourself and have more and more success. Or you can go down here, which can end in hell and failure. <laughs> and, I fucking and you took chose, the latter. <laughs> I, chose, I chose hell and failure. Yeah, it was too, it was too enticing for me because I was so emotionally mature. So were, in my you, 20s. were you at that point where you had enough money in the bank saying, you know what, if I actually if I left my job, I haven't got a problem. I can go and party and have fun. Yes. Okay. So you took that route. I took how that long? Room. How long? What sort of lifestyle were you living when you had the money in the bank? All right. So the. Ecstasy Enterprise, which started around 96, 97, yeah. kept going till about 2001. Yeah. I would say everything peaked in 1999. Mm. And in, in, uh, I was in a million dollar house on the side of a mountain in a gated guarded community at that point. I got married to a uh, woman who was doing lesbian internet porn. She was doing, she was intelligent, she was a university graduate. Hold on, hold on. On the Las hold Vegas on. Strip. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Las Vegas What's Strip. that? Lesbian internet porn. Internet porn? Yeah, yeah. And how did you meet her? There was a woman at the raves, a striptease dancer, I think her name was Pepper. Stand, um, standard. Yeah, an Asian girl. And we, we, whenever we met, we'd always have like a kiss and a cuddle because we were on ecstasy. Yeah. And we were having a kiss and a cuddle one time at this rave venue in Phoenix Ice House. And she said to me, next week, I'm going to bring a woman you will fall in love with. <laughs> and she did. She did. So um, we ended up getting married on the Las Vegas Strip at a little chapel and because she's bisexual, she wanted to go to a brothel on our wedding day. 
Now, who am I to stand? Mate, who am I to stand mate, in the way of my mate, wife's desires? That is quality. <laughs> but but there's some twists and turns yeah. here. So her thing was right. A woman could get involved with us and have a threesome and give us both head, but then the woman had to piss off and we would have full sex. Yeah. That was her rules. That yeah. was her limit. So she's like, I want to go to brothel. It's my wedding day, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so I'm calling the brothels and my heart's sinking, man. They're telling me, these are the gentlemen's clubs only. We don't allow women in here. Yeah, yeah. So I call another one. Same thing, same thing, same thing. But on the way back to the hotel, I think it was Caesars, someone had handed us like a little magazine on the strip. And she's like, well, get a girl to the room, get a girl to the room. So I'm like, yes. <laughs> but I'm also thinking, like, they may say the same thing. Like, we don't do this kind of thing yeah. for a man and a woman. Yeah, yeah. So we call this number. I said, look, here's what's happened. We can't get in a brothel. It's our wedding day. My wife's bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we're looking for a woman to give, give us both head. Oh, yeah, we've got the perfect woman, you know, brunette, blah, 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 blah. $150 for an hour, blah, yeah. blah, blah. It's like, cool, send her over. Here's where we are. So this, this woman shows up. Now, I've got a lot of drug connections at this point. Arizona is on the border with Mexico. Yep. We could get like a kilo of Coke for like $12,000. Pure stuff, uncut, like with that pearly iridescence. Yeah. And um, so my wife's, she's doing lines of that high quality Coke when the escort comes in. So the escort right away is like, can I have a line? We're like, yeah, but you know, it's really strong. Just take it easy. She just busts out and just rolls this master blast, <laughs> snorts a master blaster line, right? So she's off her face. Now, my wife goes first. She's getting oral yeah. from the yeah, escort. Yeah, yeah. I'm just sat there like. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 but they're, they're both really wired. I can see they're really wired. The escort jumps up again. Does another massive master blaster after we tell her to play it cool. She won't listen. Jumps on the bed. It's your turn. Grabs my cock with an iron welder's grip because she's so high on coke. She's like this. <laughs> Foaming at the mouth and fucking eyes this bitch. I'm thinking, I gotta hold on to my nut. It's my wedding day. What the fuck? I think Pythagoras is fear and Margaret Thatcher, all this shit going through my head. So anyway, that 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 that, that phase ended. I get off the bed and um she does more coke, busts out a purse, shows us pictures of her kids, she says she's out here from Ohio. You're the coolest couple I've ever met. You know, I'm doing things I don't really like to do in this job. Why can't can I just move back to Arizona and live with you guys and all this shit? And she's telling us about, you know, the, the man of the, the father of the kids left her. So my heart's feeling sorry for this woman. And my wife's just looking at her. Like, like, kind of get rid of her face. So when the escort went to the toilet, my wife said, either you get rid of her or I will. So I was like, my heartstrings was like, I was like, yeah, you know, you can hang out with us and, you know. Gave how, long, how long were you with your missus before you got married? Months. Is it months? months. <laughs> all, all of them are months. Is it? Yeah, yeah. The first one. Why, are you straight away going, I want to marry you? Bang. There's different circumstances. So the first one, right, I was out of uni. I was starting out as a rookie stock broker. I was, you know, fresh, living off my student credit cards and all this yeah. stuff. And I'm at a bar and I meet this uh, Asian woman and she's 10 years older than me. And she asks if the following weekend I will go to her house to help move her piano. Yeah. So I said, yes. I had no idea what moving the piano entailed. She's got this grand chung piano that it's so heavy it won't even budge, but she'd cooked a nice chicken curry and I started to go back each week. And that's how we got together. Now she said six months in, cause I'm older than you, I'd feel more secure in our relationship if we got married. 
And I was like, yeah, cool, sounds good to me. I think I just it didn't mean anything to me. I was yeah, so emotionally yeah. immature. I just it just sounded like a fun thing. How old were you roughly then? Um, twenty two, twenty three. How many times you've been married? Three. You've been married three times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but six months after my six months, um, immediately after the marriage to the first one, a mental illness came out. Mm. So I was working these long hours in the office, coming home having a shower. Shower curtain just ripped open one night. She jumped in there with a Ginsu knife, going to slash off my man parts. Why? She had an ex-husband, right, who cheated on her with a blonde. Right. So she started saying to me, and pardon the language, I know English guy, they love blonde pussy, because American guy, they love blonde pussy. I know you fucking sucking blonde pussy. Come here, let me smell your Georgie. <laughs> So I'd be, Let me smell your Georgie, is that so, what she said? Yes, yeah, so I'd, I'd be running around the house. I'd be running around the house with this crazy woman with a Ginsu knife screaming, Let me smell your Georgie! I know you're fucking sucking blonde pussy. You won't let me smell your Georgie because you're fucking sucking blonde pussy. And she's got this knife, man. And in the end, I'm, I won't let her smell it. And she just starts screaming and crying and going, I knew you're fucking sucking blonde pussy. You won't let me smell your Georgie! <laughs> yeah, all right, well, we took it to the doctors. Yeah. And because if you love someone <laughs> and you've got an issue, you're thinking, you go, you go at least give it a try. Help him out, yeah. We went to the doctors and he put her on Zoloft and she was fine. Yeah. And then her sister came over two years later and her sister showed up dressed completely in white at the airport, all these crucifixes and rosy beads and stuff. I'm working in the top floor of a high rise building. And we've got an apartment in a building next to it. Every day, the sisters are cooking up this food and stuff, and they're getting along great. And I'm thinking, this is cool. Third or fourth day, I come home from work, and my wife's face has got that look that I remembered. Yeah. And she starts chasing me around the living room. She's like, ah. I said, what's the matter? She said, oh, my sister threw the medicine away. She said, it's Western poison. You're trying to kill me with oh, my doctor's my. trying to kill me. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not. She's throwing things at me, throws plates at me, throws. Uh. Anyway, um, a plate. We've got a glass-topped coffee table and a plate or something lands on it and smashes it into these jagged pieces. I'm thinking, i got to be up for the six o'clock in the morning sales meeting. What am I going to do in this situation? So I locked myself in the bedroom and barricaded the door. Woke up at five in the morning, peep through the door and look in the living room and they've turned it into like a chapel. Posters of Jesus and Mary and all this stuff on the walls. There's candles flickering, rosary beads everywhere and all this stuff. But both the sisters are asleep. So I'm thinking, right. Get me out of here quickly. <laughs> I'll, I'll, but, but, but the bathroom's here. I can do my stuff here. Yeah. But I've got to get past the sisters to get to the front door. <laughs> so I got to go. I do all my sh have a shave, put my suit on and everything. I'm tiptoeing through the living room. My wife's eyes, I'm, I'm watching her face, and they just do that Dracula thing. Like, and then she launches at me like a cat, mouth open, head first, going for my man parts again. She face plants here. I've got just enough time to fucking <laughs> flinch back like I did when she had the yeah. knife to save my man parts. Yeah. But she bites a hole in my suit here. Yeah. The cloth is dangling from her teeth. <laughs> She's foaming from the mouth, her eyes bright, all red, cloth dangling from teeth. You can see my boxes through this hole in the suit. Anyway, um, what happened was the cops came out because of the commotion. Did the old bill? Did the old bill turn up then? Who did someone call them? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The cops came out, and um, when by the time the cops come, 
she's i'm locked in the back room <laughs> freaking out what the fuck i'm gonna do she's on the floor wriggling and drooling and crying the sister is knelt over her dressed completely in white all the religious stuff doing the sign of the cross and praying for her and these two redneck cops come in and they're like god damn you know what's what's happening here and i said she put her she flushed her medicine and can you take her to a, you know, a friend's house to calm down, that kind of thing. This was back before you know, everyone got arrested for things like yeah. this. Um, this was back in the early 90s. So they said, yeah, we'll, we'll take her to a friend's house to calm down after the ID to solve everything. So they left. Right. We were in a narrow, there was a narrow kind of room, um, a long thing with the, the door over here. I'm over here like on the sofa area and there's like a countertop with, with, the, with the iron on it. Front door just bursts open. She's give the cops the slip. She just comes running in. <laughs> Grabs the iron. She's gonna plant it into my face like this, this iron. I go like this to protect myself. She bounces off me, lands on the coffee table that's all these jagged pieces. The glass sticks in it and blood just starts squirting oh, out of her. Brutal. Then all the cops go in, what have you done to her? So you got the blame? No, I didn't. No, okay. So then I got taken outside. All these cop cars come, fire engine comes, ambulance comes. I get taken outside. There's like 10 cops around me. This female cop comes forward and goes, look at the state of him. And um, I had scratches all over my head, all over my face. All my buttons were ripped off my shirt and everything. And she said, he's a victim of domestic violence. And they let me go. So I want to know. I want to know. Yeah, yeah. Right? I want to know. You're working in the city. It's broken out there. Yeah, yeah. When was it the point when you said you want to start serving up pills? There must have been a point where you're just looking after a few people, right. looking after a few more people. We're get, They're coming back to you, coming back to you each weekend. You're serving up a bit more. What, what was the process? What was going on? We've got to get back to Wildman then. So I'm happily working as a stockbroker, top producer, all this stuff, flying my best mate over from England, put him in an apartment, like a, a bedsit house thing uh, near the Georgian Dragon British pub in central Phoenix. Me and my girlfriend... This is the next wife after the one I just described. Yeah. We go over wife to... Wife number two. Yes. Yeah. Do you want the story of how I met her first? This, 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 this jelly touch on the second She was wife. packing a handgun. <laughs> and when I went over her apartment early on, she had a waterbed that she couldn't move. She just pulled a gun out and shot the waterbed. Well, and she got me into crystal meth as well. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, this is quality. Well, let's go back Let's go back to the pills. Wild man. We're going wild to crystal man. meth in a minute. Wild man. Wild okay, man. Yeah. <laughs> wife number two and myself go over to wild man's place late one night yeah. a couple of weeks after he's moved in and a bunch of Mexicans answer I said where's Peter and they said Peter what, what, what Peter here I said yeah Peter lives here what, what, what the hell what have you done with him and they, they you know they start displaying guns and we're backtracking and over mm. the road and um, thinking we're going to get shot mm. while man just bounces over the road all smiles I said you just nearly got us killed what the fuck's going on with your place yeah. he said they're the local crack dealers they like to move around a lot they live over there, so I've rented in my place. I'm staying in their place. They're buzzing because I can do a hundred dollar crack rock in one breath. It goes little, little, little sizzle, 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 and it calms down my red dots. I think, oh my god, Peter. So then, a couple of months after that, I'm at the office, still a stockbroker. Yeah. My aunt says. You need to get up to Peter's place right now. There's yellow tape all around it. Someone's been shot dead. It's headline news. So I zip up there in my car, but I've got drugs on me. I see the camera crew. I see the cops. I ship myself and go back. But I'll wait till later in the day. Go back later in the day when they've all left. There's blood on the doorstep. I go in and there's a homicide detective with Peter in the living room. So he asked me for my ID. He asked me how you know I arranged the place with Peter and all this stuff. And he goes, 
And then I said to Peter, what happened? He says, a couple came over to buy crack, a man and a woman. I told them the Mexicans were back over the street. So the woman went to get the crack from the Mexicans. The man, he had a gun. I told him I'm from England. We don't have guns in England. Can you show me how it works? He says, yeah, got it out. He said, the safety's on. Pulled the trigger and shot himself in the head right in front of Peter. Why, because he was high on crack? They were all high, yeah. Yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah, yeah. So that was, I think it was, they did it. Uh, it was real. Um, so Peter is wild, man. Peter is so wild. So you come man. over, you've got, you've got your auntie there, you've got you there, you brought your best mate over. Yeah. Did he get addicted to crack? Did he get addicted to ease? Was he an addictive personality? Yeah, I think it contributed to his death by a multiple organ failure. I think he, he did a lot of damage to his heart back then because he would do meth and crack, just smoke endless amounts for days, sometimes weeks on end, no sleep. And end up in hospital with heart problems from mm. dehydration and things like that. That's and was he a big lump then? Was he 29 stone then? No, he went down on the meth. He went down. He was massive though, still. His shoulders were like oh, out mm. here. Mm. But he was flexible back then. He could put his foot behind his head and everything. Yeah. Um, so I have to move him out of that place. So I move him into another place on the west side and there's two females, drug users, and a bouncer. And he's a steroid head, Chippendale, blonde her, saying he's a gangster disciple, he's a tough guy. And I put him in there because I've got nowhere else to put Wildman. But I'm thinking this is a bad combination of these two people. <laughs> put the, I put the check down for him. Next day, landlady calls me. Peter's been evicted. I said, well, why has he been evicted? He's just moved in. Well, he's beat his roommate up. Well, how do you know he's beat his roommate up? What evidence do you have of this? The roommate was seen running for his life through the apartment complex in the middle of the night with plasterboard powder all over his head and face, and there's multiple human head-sized holes in the walls. So I stopped the check, stopped the check, and then he went to an a, a apartment in Tempe, a suburb of Phoenix, and this is where the XC business starts right, out of. Okay. Because there's a guy there who can't pay his rent. So I fix the situation and they move Wildman in with him. Now Wildman just starts throwing parties nonstop. Wherever he goes, he just takes over the people off the streets. Right, okay. They like hail him as the king. Yeah. So he's got homeless people. He's got like Native American transgender street walking sex workers. He's got gangbangers. He's got Russian mafia. He's got Mexican mafia. And it's just non-stop. Everyone, and what is he? Is and he striptease girls. He like a, he's a big lump. He's obviously a presence. Is he, is he just bringing everyone in going... He's just a face, loves party, and let's bring everyone in and have a party. Was that his attitude? Yes. Okay. Because I was financing it, so we had okay. unlimited resources to do drugs with. So we would just share that with everybody. And were you banging the same drugs at the same time? No, no, I never smoked anything. Yeah. I watched my grandfather die from lung cancer when I was a teenager. His skin turned green. He said, Sean, don't ever smoke. So were you, were you quite, were you, were you at that time wet behind the ears when it comes to drugs and everything like that when you were in Arizona? I was a hardcore raver from the UK. From Ra the UK, okay. Raving was my religion. Yeah. Manchester, yeah. Liverpool, all late eighties, early nineties. Okay, 90s. so you, you yeah, knew that scene, yeah, and yeah. then you went over to Arizona. You're like, right, I've now found the ease. How were you earning a pound note? How did it all start with the ease? That's what I want to know. One of my goals on the thinking tree was to make a million in America, fly my mates over, but also to transfer the rave scene over there yeah. as well. Yeah. All right, so I've got money right from the stock market stuff still. What sort of ways, at, what sort of ways point, did you have in your bank talking, at that time, roughly? Um, Hundreds of thousands that shot up to two million during the dot-com bubble. Right. That was 99. Okay, okay. Right. So I've got all this money in these accounts. Wildman is introducing me to the connections now because I, I've, I've got social anxiety, even though I've cured it now because I've lived with people for six years without being on drugs. Yeah. 
I, I was frightened as a young person to dance, to talk to strangers. Yeah. And wild man, every, he would just walk in anywhere and speak to everyone and light up the whole room. So we had this symbiotic relationship. But when I was on ecstasy, I was a complete party animal. Yeah. So wild man now, he's introduced me to all these characters, some of whom are quite dangerous. Mm. And this is how I got introduced to the New Mexican Mafia. So G-Dog, right, is a guy who came into my life. And G-Dog... We're at an apartment party in this complex where Wildman lives. It's not Wildman's apartment, it's another apartment. I provided the pills, and G-Dog, he's a Mexican-American guy, tall, ruggedly handsome, prison tats, and he's providing the coke and the weed. And we get talking because I've provided the pills, you know, collaboration's possible. And a cop walks in, and the cop says, I could smell weed from outside, nobody move, and he goes to grab his radio, and he's going to call it in. G-Dog just pulls out his gun, puts it in the cop's face, says the only one who's not leaving is you, motherfucker. Everybody run. So I've never seen anything like this before. <laughs> it's like our Scarface. So, so we all run off into the night, right? Now, I've got multiple apartments in this complex because part of my business strategy was, you know, I have an apartment where the pills are, yeah. money over here, yeah. got some back over here, yeah. some guns over here. That's how we structured it. So we run off to another apartment and um, police sirens, everything. Next thing, there's like, bam, 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 on the French window, and it's G-Dog. Like, all right, we'll let him in. So we, we were in a discussion as to whether to flush our pills or not. We were all shitting it, and G-Dog schooled us. He's like, look, they can't get a warrant this fast. If they knock on the door, don't fucking answer it. Turn the TV off, turn the lights off. Everyone just shut the fuck up, yeah. and that's what we did. Yeah. And the cops went door to door, and then they went on their way. Now, there was a police presence there, so I said, look, you're so hot here. I've got a house in Phoenix. I'll take you there, and we, you know, we were doing meth, shooting pool. And he had such a good time, he said, because you and your mates protected me, me and my brothers have got your back. I had no idea what that meant. Mm. A few months later, he says, come and meet my brothers. So I go to this house. It's got the old, all the lowrider showcase cars outside the house. Short guy's brother, bald head, um, looking at me with this mean face. And he's, he's suspicious, you know. They've got a camera watching the street and all this. But here's my English accent. He's like, damn, you talk funny. I guess you are from England. Come in and meet my homeboys. Mm. So go in the living room massive tattooed Mexican-American guys, chains, wife Peter shirts, shorts down below the knees, prison tats, guns, slabs of coke, slabs of meth, weighing scales, biggest TV I've ever seen in my life, a TV showing the whole comings and goings on the street. I look at the big TV, I do a double take, like, that's not a fucking ornament. I saw one of them in a Rambo movie, rocket propel grenade launcher on top of the TV. <laughs> You're joking, mate. No, these were serious. <laughs> I didn't even know who they were, but I knew it was a lethal atmosphere, and I got in and out of there very quickly. Mm. It was only two years later when they got arrested, and they were headline news. I knew they were, they were the new Mexican Mafia guys. Right. But they had my back, so if you're going to start an exit business and it's going to grow, because we're going to bump heads you with You need the, a firm behind you. We're going to bump okay. heads with the Gravano yeah. Enterprise at some point, yeah. Sammy the Bull and his son. Um, what sort of what sort of numbers are we talking here that day that night when the old bill turned up what, what, what sort of pills did you, you have floating around there we said oh, I want to flush these alright let's do the trajectory of the pills yeah. I'll try and do it fast yeah. so I'm at a rave and I see a guy dancing a stocky guy Native American guy and I'm thinking this is when I'm first getting trying to find my pills in Arizona yeah. this guy would dance so good he, he belonged in a music video mm. Acid Joey another one of my best mates from Arizona he's dead now he's found dead in his swimming pool with all his clothes and he was only young as well I think this guy, he's, he's got the right stuff. He knows where to mm. get it. Acid Joey could get me like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 uh, from the local dealers, 100 at the most. Mm. So Acid Joey then found out where they were getting them from out of LA. Yeah. Two carloads of us go to LA. This is an experiment to buy a thousand pills. And how far is Arizona, LA? What are you talking here? 
Um, it's like a, probably a five-hour drive. Okay. If you're not on crystal meth in a twin okay. turbo Mazda yeah. RX-7 with a radar detector. <laughs> An hour. <laughs> <laughs> this was before I knew yeah. protocol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once I knew protocol, all everyone was schooled yeah, in it, but I, yeah. I was naive. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Do you so, know what I love about this? You're, you're a white lad from Widnes. I know. And what I've heard so far, this is mad. It's going, but get, funny. it's going to get madder. Mate, this is funny. Let's go, mate. Yeah, Let's go. Yeah. So you picked up a load of pills from... Two carloads yeah. of those are there, right? Have you seen that movie, Point Break? Yeah. So the guy I'm getting off, we'll call him Saul. He's like a surfer gangster and he's got surfer gangster yeah. mates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in the cars for hours waiting for him to come home. He's not even home. Wild man's like, fucking red dots. I'm just going to fucking kick his door and take his shit. And I'm like, Peter, this is bad business. Calm down, man. Calm down. We've got Acid Joey and another one of our good mates who's dead, Seth, in the other car. And Seth's massive as well. So I say, look, we've got to wait for him to come. He comes back with his surfer gangster guys. Right, I'm going in. If I'm not out in 20 minutes, kick his fucking door in. So I go in and um, Saul's like, yeah, you know, I've got the cash. Yeah, can I try a pill first? throw the pill in my mouth he says do you want to drink with it no I like to chew him because from doing the, the scene in the UK I could tell, if, you tell you know, yeah, 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 yeah. MDMA 125 milligram yeah. whatever white doves whatever and um, it, it tasted like a good pill so he comes out from the back room with the biggest bag of pills I've ever seen <laughs> hands over the pills I hand over the bills get in the car get DJ Sasha on I've got this <laughs> first seat right so I've got DJ Sasha on Renaissance yeah. John Digweed yeah, 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 one yeah, of my yeah, all time yeah, favourites yeah I'm not come up on the E yet. Yeah. We're convoying back, twin turbo Mazda X7, you know, fucking, got up to almost 150 miles an hour. And then this fucking, I, I suddenly I feel this like prickle of fur, yeah. just like, on <laughs> <laughs> the back of my head. And then I'm just melting into my seat. I'm fucking, next thing radar detectors going off, beep, 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 beep. I'm fucking slamming on the brakes. <laughs> it was like that all the way back, all the way back. But the bottom line is, um, we sold those pills in one weekend at, mm. at, through Wildman's Complex. Yeah. So I thought, right, and I was still a stockbroker at that point. I thought, right, I can I can do this and just party my ass off and have fun or keep working these long hours. I'm just going to do this. And that was the fatal decision that caused me to lose everything. What sort, what sort of price were the pills back then in America? All right, so... $30? 25 $30? to $30 okay. in the clubs. Yeah. I'm getting now, I end up sourcing... Um, I've got three suppliers out of LA yeah. over a two-year, two or three-year period, um, and what, they, they what, get, were you, what were you picking them up at? In the beginning, the first ship, the first ones were like in the teens, low teens. Yeah. But I managed to get it down to you know if you're buying ten thousand something like you know eight, seven, eight, seven, eight. Wow. But then I found yeah. out they're getting them from Holland. Yeah. And I couldn't leave the country, so I got tested. Why? I'm an illegal alien. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I get testing kits from a website called Dance Safe. And just start sending people out to Holland to go clubbing and get samples, yeah. and they brought the samples back, and they were they were fucking Powerful. good, man. Yeah. yeah. So now now we got the price down to nothing. Couple of quid. Couple of quid. Yeah. yeah. If you include the the mission yeah. prices and the legal costs, people getting busted, things like that. You know, two or three dollars, and um, at the peak of it, then we were bringing on up to forty thousand at a time. Mm. Yeah. And you were banging them out for thirty fives. No, no, no. Okay. If I'm bringing, that... if I'm bringing forty thousand, yeah, I'm not getting thirty. Right. Okay. You're, you're, you're... By then, you've got two hundred people working for you, right, okay. and you've got crime family dinners, and there's the head of each faction who's taking down like five thousand at ten, and he's giving him his guy at fifteen or twenty and twenty five, thirty, and yeah. so on. I think Lad Bible and Unilad did a diagram of the whole pricing structure of the enterprise, but I think they got some of the numbers wrong actually. So Ease must have been fairly new to America at that time, right? They were behind. Yeah, massively. This is how behind they and were. America right? and Australia—they're all behind, weren't they? This is how yeah. behind they were. So Wild Woman, 
Yeah. A mad scouser who... Wild woman, it's not Peter's wife, is it? Yep, collectively okay. the wild ones. Yeah. So wild woman, <laughs> some of the people more scared of wild woman than they were of him. Is she still alive? She is still alive, yeah. yes. We've done two podcasts with her on my channel. Yeah. She's amazing. Um, Kerry is the name, yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. And a very strong woman indeed. And um, she flies over with some pills to Sky Harbor Airport, Phoenix. And she's got them in vitamin jars and weight loss jars and shit. Yeah. And they stop her. And they take her and put them out on a table and say, you know, what are, what are these? Yeah. And she's like, yeah, they're just like, you know, weight loss pills and vitamin pills and stuff. And they're like, cool. And they put them back in the case and tell her to have a nice joking, day. Mate. This is how joking, far mate. behind they wow. were. But after that, and after we lost another guy, um, we went to someone who was an expert in international smuggling, a lawyer, mm. and she told us, you, you, you're messing up here. Start bringing them in through Mexico. So mm. then we, we had to have operations in Mexico. So how were you bringing them, how were you bringing them from uh, Amsterdam or Holland? How were you bringing them from there into Mexico down? All right. At the peak of the operation yeah. then, when it was tens of thousands at a time, yeah. I had beachfront property in Puerto Penasco, Rocky Point. I sent I sent the, the wild ones were so hot in Arizona. I sent them to live down there. They said that the Mexicans would kill them if they behaved like they did in America. The Mexicans were run, like they were getting run around in military jeeps, and they were giving all the cops like ass sheets of acid and ecstasy well, pills. Every, banging everyone. Just banging everybody well, off. Yeah, yeah. So when I went, they called <laughs> Wildman El Oso de Burke because of his fighting style. Yeah. Now I'll, I'll give you a, a story. We had a, a big mission. I think it was a forty thousand one coming in. And this is how insane Wildman is, right? So Wildman got ripped off for a $10 crack rock by a guy on the strip. And he's like, no, I don't care if it's 10 fucking dollars yeah. or 100,000, no one fucking rips me off. Peter, we've got 40,000 pills coming in. <laughs> Can you just chill for a minute? Just relax, Peter. Just chill yeah. for a minute. And he's, he's so forceful. Yeah. I couldn't say no to him. He's like, drive. Did, you have, did you have control over Wildman or did he just flick a switch and you're like, mate, you've got to go, just let him go? There was periods when let I couldn't even know, let him know where I lived. Right, okay. Did he become more dangerous the more he was getting addicted to the drugs? Yes, okay. and it was a feud between him and my top salesman that brought the organ well, contributed to breaking the organisation down. Okay. How long? How many How many years were you serving up out there before it all come on top? All right, so started 96, 97. Yeah. I, I quit the invitation in 2001. SWAT team came May 16, 2002. So let me just tell you our route yeah. then, right? So I've got this property in Porto Penasco. You've got Tijuana over here. Yeah. You know, um, um, Hermosillo mm. Airport. And Hermosillo Airport, then you can fly from Hermosillo Airport to Mexico City on the other side of Mexico. Yeah. Mexico City, Air France to Paris. And then you send people on the train to Holland. Having people fly out of Holland, red flag. Yeah. Get them on the train, get them on Air France to Mexico City, and then bring them back through yeah. Mexico. And then we would change them over in Mexico, the smugglers, so that like we had people who had like university stickers on SUVs, University of Arizona, scuba diving tanks, all this yeah. bric-a-brac. Spring break, the, the border's backed up, and then bam, just get them across the border. We never lost anyone bringing them in um, across not? the border like that, no. Do you know how many pills you, you brought in in total, roughly? You know what? Because I do talks in schools and stuff, um, I've got to be careful about glamorizing. Yeah, I've got a documentary going out right now with the Gravano family. It's a ninety-minute one. It's, it's going to be massive in America because um, the Gravano Enterprise was my competition, and, and that brought a lot of heat and contributed to bringing everything I was just down about, as well. I'm just about to say that. Yeah, white kid witness in the mix, serving up pills, yeah. partying with a mate who's wild yeah. and loose. Mm-hmm. There must have been a lot of people looking at you going, hold on, who's this, who's this little English kid? Who's this little white English kid? Let's get rid of him. Yeah. Did that happen? They were terrified of Wild Man and the New Mexican Mafia. 
So that was that wild man was a massive bonus to you. Oh, fuck it. He was, was he? Yeah, yeah. When he was on meth, um, he, he was just yeah, he really dangerous. What does meth? What, what's the feeling of being on meth like? In the beginning, this is what I tell the school kids: when you take drugs, the pleasure's high and the pain's low in the beginning. Yeah. But the side effects come in over time, don't yeah. they? And you're trying to get back to that first point, aren't you? By, and you mix your drugs up, or do harder drugs, or do more drugs, but you never get back to that first yeah, high. So you're constantly chasing it. I'm at the office, I'm not asking for $10,000 stock market investments now, I'm asking for hundreds of thousands because yeah. I'm on meth. Yeah. I've got this meth aggression. Yeah. So my numbers on the board go crazy. I've got the messiest desk in the office. The boss comes around, he's like, tidy desk, tidy desk, tidy desk, tidy desk. Show him whatever you're doing. It's working. Keep, at keep it. it. Keep it up. <laughs> but it was all meth fueled. Yeah. But when it, when it, it's abnormal, is it's unnatural to go that high. Mm. You're gonna you're yeah. gonna crash right back down, mm. and that's what it does. So while so while man's on it like that, like like uh, like crazy, yeah. I, I want to know. I want to know when it come on top, and I want to know what your lifestyle was like when you're when you're partying and having fun and you thought ever, you thought the whole world. You had the whole world, basically. You thought, I'm doing everything I want to do here. This is the right laugh. And you know you got the Mexicans on your back. You know you got Wild Man, who's a big lump, protecting you as well. Did you feel invincible at a point? I did. When I was living in the million dollar house in the side of the mountain, we got Paul McCartney down the mountain range. I'm his nephew. His nephew. <laughs> <laughs> we got... Um, Wingman, aren't he? Joe, Bill, what is it? Joe Bonanno, the, the, the uh, mafia boss. He's one of my neighbours. I've got my wife, you know, bringing over the striptease, uh, lesbian... Uh, <laughs> Friends, we've got a pool table, we've got jacuzzi, we've got swimming pool. And I just thought I was Mr. Cool Guy. Yeah. I'm living in a million dollar house on the side of a mountain, I'm above the law. And this because of what the drugs was telling yeah. me. But but the drugs had scrambled my decision making processes. I was the biggest idiot in the world, really, mm. telling myself all this, but sowing the seeds for my downfall. Yeah. So those seeds included them, um, the dispute between Wild Man and Skinner. So Skinner was my little brother before Wildman came over. He was my top ecstasy salesperson. And when Wildman came over, I was spending more time with him. Okay. So now you've got this rivalry. So Skinner comes up with this plot to firebomb Wild Woman's apartment and send some guys in to rescue Wild Woman with her pills and take her pills. But they didn't know how tough Wild Woman is, so that, that, that didn't pan out. So the firebomb comes in, just misses Wild Woman's... She's got some kind hold of on, mark on her on, face on. from a it. Fi a firebomb, firebomb goes into her apartment? Yeah. Just to nick the pills. Skinner is plotting against us now because of my relationship with Wildman. Right, okay. And this is his, he's making his move. Right. Firebomb comes in, almost sets fire to Wildwoman. She's still got a mark on her face from it to this day. And then these guys show up. Southside gangsters are like, yeah, you know, we're, we're come to help you. Um, just get in, we'll take you to safety, get the pills. She's like... Do I look like I just got off the fucking, you know, banana bowl? Do I like chop fucking liver to you? Yeah, she's like, she's told, told to fuck off, basically. Told to fuck off. Yeah. So Wildman then finds out Skinner's done this. He's in deportation prison, one of his deportations. He goes back, I smuggle him back in. And now all he, all he wants to do is murder Skinner. Right. I'm saying, Peter, we're ravers, love and peace, all yeah. that stuff. We don't murder people. It's a fucking death penalty state. You're crazy. He wouldn't listen to me. So Skinner got so scared, he went to the cops. So he told the old Bill what you all doing. He was the only one who had the inside scoop on, on the entire oh, enterprise. Because there was 10 witnesses, but nine of them didn't know shit, really. What year did he go to the old Bill? Um, that Roughly. must have been around 2000, 2001, I think. 2001. And when yeah. did you get nicked? Uh, May 16, 2002. Right. And yeah. were you? did you know they were on your case for another nine months, ten months at that time, or did you carry on serving up? No, I stopped the year before they came. You stopped? I thought I got away with it. I didn't realise. 
statute of limits and they don't need to um, catch you with pills. What do they catch you with? They don't have to catch you with anything. So where's the evidence? People. Conspiracy. You're fucked. There's no way around it. And what people What people bubbled you up then? People, was, certain was, people who were... There was the 10 wit from the witness statements and there was four from the over 100 that were arrested. So there was over 100 people arrested in this? Yeah, there was 200 of us. You're joking me. Throwing raves up to 10,000 people, had my own bouncers, everything. It was, hold on, yeah. hold on. You were throwing raves? Yeah, yeah. I told you festivals. Go on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go on. What, so you were, <laughs> you were using the, the pill money to put on raves? Where were you putting on the raves? This is a long story how as big well. Are, how big are these raves? This is a long proper, story as well. Are we talking well. proper festival raves here? Are we talking little parties? The or? biggest one was on Bumblebee Ranch, Arizona. They had cowboys on horseback with shotguns patrolling it who owned the ranch. There was 10,000 people on that one. It was a, and that was it was your, a weekend long And long that, was, that was your gig? Yes. I was the behind the scenes financier, put the security right, in place, okay. pills coming in, I pay for everything. <laughs> All the t you know, who was the promoter behind it? Who was banging on the music? Who was promoting I it? I had different teams of promoters. So here's how this came about, right? I'm rolling up early on as a stockbroker in my twin turbo Mazda RX-7 at these little raves. Yeah, I'm dressed grungy, but they're looking at this car, these kids saying, this guy's got money. Yeah. So my nickname became the Bank of England. So all these little promotion crews that are getting nowhere because they've got no money, start coming to me for to, a pound note to invest in their projects right, okay now these little crews kind of had they were competing against each other and they would often have feuds and when Wildman came over if they had a feud we would call both parties in listen to each side adjudicate and through this process we incorporated all these little clicks into my criminal enterprise mm. so these promoters basically I locked down the locals and if you lock down the locals that protects because you, you're asking me, why didn't anyone make a move on me? Yeah. If you've got the locals locked down, they're so sensitive to any changes or anyone coming into the scene, mm. that information trickles right back up to the top, mm. which is what happened multiple times. There was a guy called Gangster Dan, I'll call him. He, had a, he was a gangster. Um, he's doing life now. He had a thumb missing. He's out of Philadelphia. And he started jacking, robbing the different rave cliques. And we found out where he was living in this complex. He was just staying. What, rob, what, robbing money off him or robbing the pills off him? Pills. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and whatever was in the house. So anyway, Acid Joey's complex was called the Quadrangles. And Gangster Dan, I'm calling him, yeah. He was in another apartment. And they'd, he just forced his way into someone's apartment. He was living there. So I'm with G-Dog, who pulled a gun on the cop. Yeah. And I'm with Wildman, who um, he was like, you know, as soon as he heard that Gangster Dan was there, his eyebrow just goes straight mm. up. Because whenever he's going to do something, his eyebrow just goes straight mm. up. His face stays completely calm, but the eyebrow mm. goes like that. You know, the red mm. dots are kicking mm. in. So Wildman's like, I'm just going to go there on my own. And G-Dog's strapped. He's like, let me come with you, Peter. And he's like, I've got to handle this on my own. And he makes G-Dog stay there. And we, we were thinking, because this guy's strapped as well. We're just thinking, right, we're listening for the gunshots, basically. So Wildman comes back like, 10 minutes later and he says I'm moving in with him <laughs> and this 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 became his thing right people owed me money I didn't send Wildman to beat him up he just moved in with them because if he moved in with you all the street people moved in your television was getting carried out and sold to the yeah. Mexican Mafia you got crack getting cooked up in your kitchen 24-7 yeah. <laughs> people, yeah, yeah. people were terrified of Wildman moving in with them yeah so I had this I was insulated I was insulated because yeah. I had the locals on my side I had my own security team and any any outsiders who came in, undercover cops, 
they would always pretend to be buyers from out of state. Yeah. Nobody knew the fuck they were. Yeah, yeah. 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 And they even said that in, in the uh, police paperwork, we could not infiltrate this organisation. Where were you at the point when you got nicked? I was living in an apartment in Scottsdale with my girlfriend and I was I was doing uh, Spanish classes at the local community college and going to the gym and getting back into fitness and we were planning to move to LA because we knew how hot it was for us in Arizona. And it was May 16th, 2002, I'm on the computer, I'm back to stock trading and then just bam, 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 bam. Look through the people, it's blacked out. I'm thinking, is it the cops or is it people pretending just mm. to come and rob me, they found out where I live. Mm. Go to the window, whole complex is surrounded. All these boots fudding up the stairs. Tempe, please, we've got a warrant, open the door. So I go through to the missus in the bedroom, like, all right, we better let them in. We're walking through the living room, then just boom, door just smashes against the wall and hands above your head, it's going to fucking ground, I don't fucking move. And the detective, right, so these, you see him, like, you see that look in the, the eyes of the, the SWAT team and you just fucking go down fast because your heart's like out oh, yeah, here. Yeah. And then they, they cuff me, crush me, cuff me. And then the detective just hoists me up. It's like English, Sean. We finally fucking oh, got you, man. We finally got you, you bastard. Right. <laughs> he was and my nemesis. I learned as well from the police paperwork. Straight into court. How quick was it? No, you to get no. Banged up? What sort of times? Times? I was fighting my here? case for, for twenty-six months because I wouldn't okay. cooperate. They were trying to break me down. Every they you say no quote, but you just no comment the whole time. Don't even talk to them. Okay. The New Mexico Mafia. They schooled me. They said, "Look, if you get pulled over, leaving our place." The cops do not have a right to search your car unless you have probable cause. Yeah. You tell them, if they say, can I search your car? You say, no, I'm in a hurry. And if they insist, or if shit hits the fan, you contact this lawyer. Mm. So my, right away, this lawyer got involved. I exercised my right to remain silent. In fact, when they were taking me out of the apartment, they, they pushed me out of the apartment because I started screaming to my girlfriend, this is the day of the raid, I'm exercising my right to remain silent, love. I'm exercising my right to remain silent, love. I'm exercising over and over again, like, get the fuck out of you know, Yeah, they pushed me out and everything, put me in the car. So I was, I was schooled by the New Mexican Mafia. From my days of, you know, doing missions on my own at 150 miles an hour, mm. I had schooled all my workers about mm. protocol with the police. Mm. They had legal benefits. They were told, exercise your right to remain silent. We will assign you a lawyer right away. We will bail you out right away. And don't uh, fucking snitch against us. That's why we are you know, mm. providing you all these things. You don't have to snitch against us. If you're first time non-violent drug offender, you probably won't do any prison time. So we were tight. By the time the cops come, we were tight. Because in Sammy the Bull's case, 57 were arrested. All 57 rolled over. We only had four roll over out of over a hundred, mm. so they had a weak case. Mm. Twenty six months back and forth, court, court, facing two hundred years, facing two hundred years. Yeah, right away they slapped um, serious drug offender status on me, which carries twenty five to life. Plus, I had ten charges, which carried a max of uh, ten years each if I went to trial and lost. So I was looking at one hundred twenty five. Second year, they doubled my bail bond to one point five million, moved me to maximum security, doubled my charges to twenty plus. So now I'm facing two hundred plus years. You're joking. Because none mate. of us would cooperate. They were trying to fucking break me down. Two hundred years. Yes. Jesus. That Christ. was when I almost killed myself because the conditions were so intense and I was so, feeling sorry so, for myself. At what point were you banged up? At what point did they say? What What did you get? What did you get nicked for? Conspiracy, crime syndicate, continuous criminal enterprise, using electronic devices to run a drug enterprise. I didn't understand that even when I saw it. So when the neo-Nazi Aryan Brotherhood gang members come up to me when I was separated from Wildman and say, "So what? were you in Arizona, Nick, at this point?" Yeah, yeah. So it was Arizona you were. That was fucking boiling. I've been as in well. Arizona for 16, 17 years. That's where I spent all that time. My God. 
So the neo-Nazis come up to me and they're like, what are you charged with? What's so the day you walked in there? Yeah. What was that feeling like? Charge as a check, young, young white lad going into an American Nick where you've got neo-Nazis. What else was, what other? All right. What was that feeling like walking in there? You must have been Walk, shitting yourself. All right, walking in there. When I got separated from Wildman, I started stressing. Okay. We're in the van. Because he was your safety net, I think. He's my bodyguard, everything. Okay. 13 of us are in the van. Yep. Half men, half women. Wild woman's in there. The female co-defendant starts to get off first. Yep. There's a queue to go in the jail. All these guys queuing to go in the jail are high, drunk. Mm. They've been tasered. They've been in fights with the cops. They've been bath. Whatever the fuck. This is a rowdy fucking bunch of motherfuckers. Yeah. They see the women getting off, raver women, turn around, and they're like, get your tits out and all this shit. You know, screaming at them. I'm watching Wild Man because Wild Woman's there. Fucking hell. Mm. Wild Man's eyebrow goes up. Mm. He's just watching out the window like this. Mm. Fucking eyebrow goes, I'm, oh my God, what's going to happen next? Yeah. So, so the guards like, yells at the men to get out, these redneck guards, right? Wild man just stands on the top step of the van and the guards yelling, get down on the fucking step. Massive, right? He's got a Viking's beard. He's been up for a week on crack and meth. His eyes, there's no white in him. They're just blood red. Mm. He's, he's got all these cuffs on. He's in, the, he's in uh, he just fucking leans back with his Viking beard like this. And goes to the men yelling at the women, you lot disrespecting our women. I'm going to be in there with you guys yeah. in a minute. <laughs> and if you want some of this, you're going to fucking get it. And then he, he does, he always, when he was really high, he would always do this laugh. And then he just cocks his head back even more. And he just goes, <laughs> and the veins are popping out of his head and everything. And he's just like, ah. Oh. And they're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> so, what did you get? How many years did you get in the end? Nine and a half. You got nine and a half after that. Getting sentenced to nine and a half what? years is one of the happiest days of my life. How weird is that, isn't it? Knowing you're going to get so 200. Happy. I was so happy. What was, this, what was the feeling when you walked in there? Like, for you, knowing you got nine and a half. Does it, is it the same out there when you do half? You do, like, roughly four no, and a half, five? They don't do any of that. They don't do any of that. If you're uh, nine and a half, you're nine and a half. This is Arizona State. How tough was that prison? All right, so you walk in, right? Yeah. And this is when I got separated from Wildman. And how hot are we talking here? We're talking boiling hot, 50 right? degrees. Oh, and there's hardly any air. So your body gets covered in skin infections and bed sores, the itch and bleed. It looked like I'd spilled battery acid on myself at one point. And if it's 50 degree heat, you're sweating like a dog every day. And your skin turns soggy. So you're itchy from these bed sores and skin infections. You scratch yourself. Clumps of your skin just oh, detach under your nails. One of the hardest parts was trying to get to sleep. You're just fucking spinning around in a pool of sweat all night long trying mm. to get to sleep. But it's all gang controlled, drug gangs, racial gangs. So the four major gangs in Arizona are the whites, the Aryan Brotherhood prison gang, neo-Nazis. So as soon as I go in, they've got Hitler, swastikas, lightning bolts. One skinhead had a gas chamber with Jewish people dying inside it and Hitler, Zeke Heiling over the gas chamber. I'm thinking, fucking hell, I saw American History X. This stuff really fucking exists. Shit, it? So then they're like, hey, Wood, we want a word with you. Wood is like mate for a white guy. Yeah. Get in that cell over there. And you can't say no to them. They're just going to smash your head yeah. into the wall. So I go into the cell. They come in behind me, close the door, can't get out. What are your charges? Now, I'm new to this. Conspiracy, mm. crime syndicate. This, what the fuck does this mean? Yeah. So I say... I don't know what my charges mean. That is not a good answer. Now they've got me against the wall. What the fuck do you mean you don't know what your charges mean? You're a fucking chomo. You're a fucking chomo. 
I don't even know what Chomo is at this point. Do you know what Chomo is? What, child molester. Child molester. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. Hell. So in the end, I'm like, fuck, I better fucking show my charges. <laughs> so, so they look at my charges, right? They see I've got my bail bond is $750,000 cash only. They're like, God damn, who do you guys kill? You guys the mafia or what? Yeah. I'm like, no, raves, ecstasy, we didn't kill anyone. Yeah. And they're like, what? So yeah, so they were cool with that. Then they explained the rules. So if someone calls you a punk, a bitch, you got to fight them on the spot or else the whole gang will smash you. Must take showers or they'll smash you for bad hygiene. Can't go make your friends with the guards, they'll smash you for snitching. Can't sit at the tables of the races, they'll smash you for that. So immediately, well, well in the first few, few weeks or months, I'm working out with... Um, you got to, have you got to make a choice here? You're making a choice with the neo-Nazis or what other options have you got? Or you just, they've pulled you aside straight away, you're with us? Yeah, yeah. But I fucked up. I'm working out with Sniper, a La Victoria gang member, a Chicano, Mexican-American. So I'm, I'm doing, there's no weights or anything because they all got weaponized and people's skulls got crushed. So it's all like I, isometric, you know, yeah. dips and shit yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. So I'm working out with uh, Sniper and one of the Nazis comes over to me. He's like, word. You know, we want a word yeah. of you again, word. <laughs> cool. So I say, Sniper, I go talk to my people. He's like, yeah, go talk to your people. And I go in the cell. And um, they're like, take a look around the day room, Wood. Do you see any of the white boys working out with the other races? <laughs> You've got a lot to learn, Wood. Now yeah. get back to your workout. Mm. <laughs> what, other, what other gangs are in there? All right, so the, the, you got the Aryan Brotherhood. They're, they're hardcore, man. They're hardcore. Um, the black gang is the Mau Mau. Then you've got the Mexican Nationals, the Paisas, the, the Mexican Mafia. But then you've got the Chicanos. These are Mexican-Americans. And the Mexican-Americans are at war with the Mexicans. So where I was housed, it was about half Hispanic Mexicans, Mexican-Americans. It was about a quarter to a third white. The blacks, 15%, something like that. And then I would say other, like Native Americans Mm. were the other. And how many British? (laughs) Two, three, one. Wild man? Yeah. Wild woman? Me. Oh, mate. Did it, was there any benefit of being British in there, English in there? Totally. It was, was it? Yeah. What, the accent? You're making them laugh? Yeah. You had yeah, to make them yeah. laugh, bring humour into it. Dave watched. Were you there with an English lad from up north with your four-cornered anky on? Saying, <laughs> saying jolly good. Yeah. They'd watch Benny Hill. They'd watch Monty Python. All these are shows that have gone viral in America. They were coming and asking me about Clockwork Orange, the movie, things like that. So I really played the English card. Hmm. Yeah. While man was with me for the first year, he took a plea bargain after a year and he went off. They kept trying to break me down, so they kept putting me in higher and higher security levels. So you say higher security. What sort of high security were you in in there? What was that like? The day First day? year, medium security. And a medium security. Give me an example of medium security. All right, so medium security, right? Towers, jail. you got a guard tower in the middle, yep. right? And you got a plexiglass bubble in the sky with a control panel and two guards. They're looking down from this glass bubble at four pods, these are enclosed areas designed for 15 men, but they've got 45 men in each. So you've got two stories of cells, bottom tier, upper tier, metal grid stairs going to the upper tier, and a sliding door at the front. Mm. And you've got the socks wrapped around the stairs so people can be doing pull-ups yeah. and shit like that. Yeah. yeah, okay. And then what was it like when you went into the high security? All right, so the reason I went to maximum security is because we requested a bail reduction. My bail was 750000 cash only. The lawyer said, look, we can try a bail reduction. We went to court. It seemed to have gone really well. My girlfriend was excited, thought it was getting out. Prosecutor, she's trying to make her name off my case. She sabotages the hearing. The judge doubled my bail to $1.5 mm. When you go over a million, 
you're automatically reclassified from medium security to maximum security. Mm. And then when I got sentenced to nine and a half years, the prosecutor accidentally put my sentence down as 34 years on the paperwork to the prison system. So I was fast-tracked to supermax, but I was only in there for about three or four months. But you know what, I'm glad. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I was only in there for three or four months. What supermax? Give me a breakdown of what supermax is like. I was in SMU 2 in Florence, Arizona, and the guards are dressed, dressed like Darth Vader, shank-proof body armor mm. characters, and they escort you to your cell. And once you're in that cell, then it's very hard to get out of that cell. So I think under the law, you're allowed a shower every three days. So they come to the cell door and there's like a trap in the door and they tell you, put your hands through the trap and they handcuff you. Then they say, move away from the trap and face the wall. Then the door slides open. Then they tell you to just very slowly back out of the cell and face in the direction of the run. So you're gonna to go to the shower at the end of the run and you've got them around you. And they say, if you turn your head or signal or fucking say anything to any of the other prisoners on your way to the shower, we're just gonna grab the back of your skull and smash your teeth into the concrete. Mm. So then you, you, they walk you to the shower, door buzzes open, you go in, door buzzes closed, you put your hands through the trap and they unhandcuff you. And there's a button for the shower water but it only runs for 10 minutes for security purposes. And in the beginning, I was like, let me out, you know, finish my shower, let me out. And I think they just got off on that. Mm. So I had to do a, like a, a standing up uh, yoga routine <laughs> to keep to pass the time while I was in the shower. Mm. Yeah. What sort of stuff did you see in that prison? You don't see anything? No. Because you're just in that cell. You've got death row right next to you. Mm. Yeah. I mean, they allowed you out. Technically, they're supposed to allow you out for some recreation. So what they did was handball. They had a handball court. So they would come in the middle of the night and say, anyone want handball when they knew everyone was asleep? But if you're awake and you caught it just in time, they'd take you to handball. I think I went to handball about two or three times. Mm. Did you have the fear in there? I had the fear of the whole way through it. Yeah. What, what sort of fear? Were you waking up? You, I wouldn't be able to keep at night. What's, the thing what? is, you can't, you can't show it. So, all right, go, let's go back to when I first went in, right? Yeah. So... They did, made, you put, did you put on a front straight away as if you were some sort of man? No, man? I couldn't. I was so scared. Really? I'm not a tough guy. I'm a yeah. business studies graduate. But that's what I mean. That's what yeah, I can't get my yeah. head around. <laughs> yeah. So, so <laughs> wild man's with me, right? In the horseshoe. The horseshoe's the first couple of days. Mm. It's this subterranean thing that you go through to be processed and you've got to get to see a judge. And because we were a group of co-defendants in there, I felt safe because he was close to me. When we went to Towers Jail, when we were classified to medium security... They put a finger, I do not house together with me and Wildman. Later on, the Italian mafia that we clicked up with, they they controlled the guards and they had Wildman sitting with us all day long mm. for a period of time, which was really cool. Um, so Wildman was separate from me. So early on, I see a guy get attacked in the shower by the neo-Nazis and they leave him whimpering in a pool of blood. They think he's a chomo. And this big guy's like, why can we still hear him? You didn't smash him good enough. Mm. So he just goes in and gets this guy's head like he's trying to fucking crack open a coconut. Mm. Bam, 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 bam. The guy's unconscious or whatever, and a guard does a security walk. Guards do security walks about every 30 minutes. So lockdown, everybody lockdown, go back to your cells. So I go back to my cell. This guy's take, getting taken out on a stretch, and there's not just blood coming out of his head, there's like yellow shit coming out of his head. So right away, that put, put a look of shock on my face that I could not mm. get rid of. 
later on once I'd learned the slang in the prison walk and I was pretending to be tough which was a complete charade yeah. they saw through that as well I can give you a story on that yeah. they saw through it when I moved to Max um, but the, the prison started to come up to me and say look you've got to get that look of shock off your face yeah. or you're going to get brutalised yeah. I was lucky as well because when I did get split from Wildman there was a guy uh, who I took out on a limo night him and some of my friends and him and some of his friends and we just got fucking smashed like so we were unconscious and shit mm. and um I'll call him Tracy the hippie and um, he, he'd grown a lot because he was after drugs and he was in there and he had to fight and stuff mm. he, he came in and he, he comes running up to me and I thought fucking hell this guy's going to attack me I'm like he's like don't you recognise me for the fucking limo night I'm like oh my god you gained so much weight and he took me to the upper tier and he, he yelled to everybody he said everybody this is English Sean I know him from the street he's a good fucking dude you know this guy's sound, you know, a good yeah, dude yeah. And all the all the relative all the gangs then everything they were watching the TV they all looked up as soon as he yelled at and they were all nodding and like giving him that mm. so that's the big thing as well who you know when I got separated from all those guys years later I started to write the life story of a guy called Two Tonys it was a multiple homicide murderer serving 140 plus years for the Bonanno crime family he'd left uh, the the bodies of rival gangsters from Arizona to Alaska old school Italian mafia don't harm women or kids so he's at the top of the respect so once he took me under his wing and writing his life story I and mean, by the end of it he said he felt like I was the son that he never had mm. so I, I didn't get sweated after that mm. and what was the movements like for you like were you in there for two years you had to go to another one for two years another one for two oh, more years more frequent than that was it yeah alright so um, we went to Tempe jail in the, in the beginning uh, for a day then we went to the horseshoe at the Madison Street jail for the processing, which took about three days. Then I was classified to Towers Medium Security Jail for a year. Then my bail got doubled and I'm in the Maximum Security Madison Street Jail f until the balance of the 26 months. Then I end up going to Alhambra Reception Unit for the new prisoners in the Arizona Department of Corrections. That's when I find out my sentence is accidentally 34 years. Then I get fast-tracked to Super Maximum Security. Then I go to Medium Security Prison in Arizona Department of Corrections. But they move me around a few different mediums because they just move everybody because they don't like to settle down. Um, by the end of it, I'm in a minimum security in Tucson, Arizona, Department of Corrections, and then I have to get deported. So I'm in a federal deportation prison. So there was like ten, you know, ten to fifteen different institutions I was in over the um, just under six years that I served. So was there a point that you knew you were nine and off? Was there a point they come up to you one day and said, "Right, you're out"? Did you know you were going to do six? Did you know you were going to do five? What did you know, or did you not know anything until one day they gave you the tug? Yeah, once I was sentenced, I knew when I was going to get out. So you, you, but that was nine and a half years. For, for 26 months, I think I'm getting fucking hundreds of years. Yeah, but then you got your nine and a half. Yeah. But you did six. Yeah. Did you know you were going to do six and out, or did you think you were doing the whole nine and a half? The New Mexico Mafia lawyer, he was a loophole lawyer. So I think you're supposed to serve about 85%, but he got me way more by a loophole that was a half-time release if you agreed to deportation and you were a non-violent non-US citizen oh, that was the loophole he found me and actually when I got sentenced and that was announced at the sentencing the detective who was my nemesis my parents my family had flown over and over for 5,000 miles they almost he freaked out and they almost cancelled my sentencing and my lawyer and the prosecutor had to go into the judge's chambers and I'm thinking fucking hell this is all going to start from scratch again mm. you know and they came out and it was it was um, it was stamped and it was it was and I was just so happy from that point and did that forward. come did that come about 
off the cuff? Did you know it was going to be six years? Did, were you leading up to a day each day going, right, I've got seven days to go, four days to go? Or did they just come in and go, right, you're out now? It never showed on the computer system that I was getting out after five and three quarter years. It never showed. And the weeks leading up to it, I was like, when's this going to show? When's this going to show? And I was pushing for it. And I was shitting myself thinking I was going to have to do an extra couple of years. And it didn't come on the release date. I thought, I'm fucked. But then it, it came like a well, um, two or three days later. Mate, yeah. just tell just tell me what you listen. You it sounds like you've had a wild time. Yeah, with yeah. Wild man, you've got you've got up to some mad shit. Yeah. Tell me how your mum and dad felt. Oh man, this is the this is the rough bit now. So, um, I'd structured it so if I got arrested, my mates would have money to bail me out, so my parents would ever have to find out. I'd even flown people over from England and put accounts in their names with money in it. The cops had put a netbus Trojan horse virus in my computer and took that right away, all that money, and they'd arrested all my mates as well. So I had no, I had no money now. So I've got to call my mum and dad and let them know I've got serious drug charges and I'm facing a serious time. And the only way in America is if you've got money for it. Oh my God, hearing the heartbreak in my mum's voice. And, and she, um, she was a school teacher at the time. So she went into the college and there was a sensationalist article about me that came out in the Arizona newspaper. I was the front page of it. They had a picture of me looking like Nosferatu on the front page. And it was 10 pages long. It was English, Sean's Evil Empire, everything I did and 10 times more. They portrayed me to be a cross between Walter White and a vampire. So I called my aunt, don't let my mum see this. She's like, it's too late, Sean, there's an internet version. So my mum, she read it and she had a nervous breakdown and she went to the college and, um, she ran up to the student yelling, I know you've read the article, I know you know what's going on. And my dad had to get her, and she's been on off medication to this day. But my family, God bless them, they would fly 5,000 miles to come and visit me every year. It cost a lot of money. And my mum would be outside for hours and um, in the heat, you know, waiting to get in, sniffer dogs on their asses and all this shit, searching them pat downs. And that first time I saw my mum, just it looked like she'd aged and she was crumped crumpled over on that visitation desk waiting for me. Oh, I just broke my heart, man. It makes me never want to fucking even get a speeding ticket for the rest of my life or do any crimes. It really does. Do you remember the first time they arrived and could you have face-to-face -face or were you behind anything? I was in medium security at that point and um, it was, I think it was my mum came on her own the first time and then my mum and dad would come or my, my sister would come as well. How many times did your mum and dad and your sister come over and visit you over those six and a half years? I think, I think every year. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it was just under six years, so every year, like five or six times. Mm. Yeah. And tell me, the moment you got out of Nick, what's that feeling like? Have you got a pound note? Is someone looking after you with a couple of Gs, a couple of grand, five grand to sort you out? Or were you just like, I need to get out of this country? Or were you, what was, what's the score of deportation? They said they put you on a plane and away you go, or did you have to sort it yourself? What, what goes on there? So regular prisoners in Arizona, they give them $50 on the gate, say have a nice day. And they know they're going to come right back. As soon as they come back, $60,000 of taxpayers' money per person to the prison. It's a racket. With me, fed, the feds came, took me to the deportation prison. Was that Florence? Oh, near Florence. And um, they say to you, we cannot give you your release date for security purposes. So you never know when you're getting out. Mm. I mean, wild man spent a year in some of those places. So I think I was in there for weeks or a couple of months at the most. And 
Have you seen that movie Connor with Nicolas yeah, Cage? Yeah. They're on, we're on Connor. It's just me and all Mexicans. Deportation. All cuffed up. All cuffed up. Federal marshals watching us, ready to fucking taser us or shoot us if we fucking do anything. Can't get up and take a pee or anything. But because I've picked up a bit of Spanish, the Mexicans are asking me to communicate with the the guards, and I'm telling, asking them this, and the guards are telling me to fuck off, and I'm saying he said fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> but they appreciated that. I'd, the Mexicans really appreciate if you take the time to learn the language. Yeah. So that was a good thing for me throughout my incarceration that I'd made that effort. So on Connor for a couple of days, picking off up and dropping off Mexicans. This is how the feds create work for themselves. It's ridiculous. Get to a, a holding cell in LA. Transportation holding cells. I mean, I, I was interviewed about uh, the philosophy of patience, I think, on Radio 4, and it, this stuff teaches you patience. You, you're in cells for days sometimes, yeah. waiting for progress. It's a rank cell. People sat around, squat around. People trying to sleep. You can't sleep. There's nowhere to sleep. But this one Argentinian guy looks like a bodybuilder. He's amped up all night long. So half the, half the cell, people are over here trying to be quiet. And the other half, people are in a circle listening to this guy. He's like, yeah, my wife's a supermodel. I wake up with head every day from her. She sees homeless people and she makes me stop and, and give them a donation. She's a complete saint, man. And she's flown all the way to Argentina and she's waiting for me at the airport and all this shit. And he's just got this story. He's so high, high on, all, on all this. So for 10 minutes, I'm listening to him. And then I'm sick of it, and I'm going over here, and I'm trying to fall asleep, and then fucking hell, I'm going back and listening to him. This is going on all night long. The next day, the two names to get picked out to go to the airport, <laughs> me and the Argentinian. Right. So he, he's, he's really amped up, man. He's so excited. He's going to see his missus and everything. We get stuck in LA traffic, which is horrendous at times. So when you're getting stuck in LA traffic, are you in the old Bill car? Yeah, we're in the, the back of the van, van. Still cuffed up. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And the guard, there comes an appointment, the guard just starts looking at us. I'm like, what's up with him? And he says, um, you're going to miss your flights now. We're going to have to reschedule this, you know, because of the traffic. Oh, so I thought he's just going to take us back to the jail. I'll be in there for a couple more days, listen to the Argentinian and get back on the yep. plane. And the Argentinian starts rocking in the song. Rescheduled. Rescheduled. I'm like, chill, chill out, man. It's no big deal, is it? Do you know what rescheduled means? The whole process has to start has to start again. You go back to your deportation fucking camp and it's weeks or months to get on another oh, flight. Mate. So he's wigging now in the van going back to the jail. And when he gets out of the van, he just completely completely loses it. He's all coughed. He just starts screaming at, at nobody. I need a cigarette! I need a cigarette! And they all just come and grab him and throw him in a fucking special cell. Yeah, so I'm I'm bombing now. I'm back in there thinking, right, they're going to take me back to a deportation prison in weeks, months. My parents are on the fucking way from Widnes to London because prisoners abroad has given them the heads up. You know, yeah. I'm on the way, and um, there's an announcement that would you know come out here. Fucking, you going to the airport? How oh, can we go into the airport? My flight was delayed, wasn't it? Oh my! <laughs> so I'm in the van now on my own. The guard would get to the airport. He, he gets the van right near the fucking plane. He's like, I, I need to take a piss. And he, he, they have to watch you piss. Mm. So he's, he, I'm like fucking handcuffed to the, the fucking toilet rail shit with one hand, mm. dick in the other. Mm. This guy's Peter gazing the fuck out of me. I'm taking a piss. He leaves me handcuffed in there while he takes a piss. <laughs> then we're, we're in the van. He goes, right, I'm going to put you on the plane first. So you don't scare the passengers. I'm going to take your cuffs so off. You're going on there with you're going on the plane with normal passengers. 
No, he says I'm going to put you on before them. Right, okay. But you're going yeah, to be yeah. cuffed up on the plane. Are you uncuffed no, no, on the plane? No, no, he says, I'm going to take your cuffs off now. Okay. Don't try anything stupid. I said, I just want to go home, man. Yeah. I'm not going to try anything stupid. Yeah. He goes, well, a guy tried something stupid a couple of weeks ago, and he had to be, um, what's the word, re... <laughs> what the fuck? Rescheduled. Rescheduled. He had to be rescheduled. He had to be rescheduled. No. I don't want to rescheduled. I'm not trying to be stupid. So, what was that feeling like for you? On the plane, was it surreal to say, this, right. is all come, this, this is all coming to end now? It, when he took my cuffs off, right, and I walked up those stairs and the yeah. cabin crew was waiting with smiles to welcome me on the plane and they called me Sean and they spoke in a voice that I was not an animal or I was not a number, my heart melted. Wow. That's how powerful that effect was after being just treated like an animal for six years. Yeah, and then I got on the plane, but I was a bit institutionalised, so everyone gets on then, you know, I could smell the women's perfume and all that kind of yeah. stuff. After being people around, on mobiles, smartphones. People, was it? people around sweaty, hurry men for six years. Yeah. But what I did was, I put my hand up and... Um, what, instead of pressing the bell for a drink? No, not, not for a drink. <laughs> I put my hand up and, and said to a female member of the cabin crew, do I have permission to go to the toilet? Oh, mate. Yeah. But all I wanted to do was have a bird bath because I was conscious I'd been in transportation for days and I stunk yeah, in the okay. showering days. All these fit women around me with yeah. tattoos and everything. I'm like, whoa, and I fucking stink. So I wanted to have a scrub up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so she's like, you don't need to ask. It's just there. Oh I'm going bright red, people looking at me. But I'm still so high on the fact that I'm about to be free. It was no big deal. I can't sleep the whole way watching these stupid movies on the plane. What, what happened? What happened? You had everything frozen, all your money. Did you, you land back in the UK, skin? Back with the family, did so you I'm, go back and live with your mum and dad? So they all meet me at Heathrow. My sister, my mum, that were hugging. There's videos on my YouTube channel of, of us at Heathrow Airport. If you want to watch that, Sean Atwood's release. And I'm all stubbled out, right? I look completely shell shocked. You can see I've been through some shit. Mm. Hugging my mum, hugging my sister, they're crying. And on the drive away from the airport, my sister's showing me her phone to answer your question about phones mm. and explaining what texting is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was your movements when you landed back in the UK to say, right, I need to earn a pound note? Were you, obviously, did you hook up back with Wildman? What was the score? You know what, my, my plan was to try and go back to university and do a, a master's degree or something. In, in? In Liverpool. I know, but in studying what? Anything. Just um, to get... Literature, I think, because I wanted to be an author. Okay. And they told me to fuck off. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's what, that was what I did my bachelor's at. <laughs> yeah, so that wasn't panning out. But I, I did a couple of BBC interviews when I got uh, off the plane. Uh, Eddie Murr, I think Radio mm -hmm. 4, and a Harley Street drug counsellor heard that, me telling all the stories about the cockroaches, the dead rats in the food, all those stories, the gangs. And he's like, contacted the BBC and said, look, I want to hire him to go into schools and talk to young people. And thank God he came into my life because that enabled me to get on the right track because the dole was sending me to uh, job interviews with telesales companies and I tell them I've got a criminal record and they tell me to fuck off. Mm. And I told the doll, the doll said, well, why aren't you getting a job? I said, well, I'm telling them I've got a criminal record. They said, stop telling them you've got a criminal record. Mm. And I was also on meds as well because I've been on and off meds a little bit throughout the whole thing. But because that's, you know, it makes you a bit crazy. And when I told the, the mental health team in Witness that I didn't need the meds anymore, they said that was grandiosity and they needed to increase my meds. Jesus. And they were threatening to do home visits and wanted blood tests, and it got to the point where they were threatening to section me. Mm. So then, I, so when then, you, I, when you landed, did you feel that you were back to your normal state? Did you personally feel you were back to your normal state? No, Six and a half years, I wasn't in back it, to my normal back. state. 
I was in a dream how long state. Did it, how long did it Going take my you to come round? After being away for 16 yeah. years. I was in a dream state. There was state. no decompression anywhere, was it? You're straight back into the mix. No one on the streets would have known you've just done six and a half years in Arizona, Nick. I said I want... <laughs> like... Yeah, I said I want, I want chips, curry and rice. So we're driving from my hometown and we stop at a chippy. And my accent when I went to America was like, fish, chips and peas, love salt and vinegar. Yeah. I speak like this now because the Americans understand me. Yeah. So I go in the chippy to get this chips, curry and rice and I can't understand what they're saying. Mm. And they bring someone out from the back of the chip shop to talk to me very slowly like I'm a crazy person yeah. so I can put this order in. So this was my adjustment. And the weather, I had two double-tog fucking duvets or something yeah. and my beanie on and I was still freezing because mm. I was used to the desert. Mm. What's, your, what's, your, what's your journey been like since you've come out? You come out in 2008, was it? When did you come out? December 2007. 2007. What's your journey been like from 07 now to all the way up to 2022? Because you found podcasting in what year? All right, so you've got to go back to the blog. So when I said to a guard, how, how does you get away with all this dead rats, cockroaches, guards, murdering inmates? The guard said the world has no idea what's going on here and right, they probably okay. doesn't give a shit about prisoners. So I started writing everything down. Right, okay. My aunt smuggled it out of maximum security that got put online as a blog, John's Jail Journal, and it went on to attract international media attention to conditions in that jail, and that jail was closed down. That was the first prison blog. And what year was that? 2004. Okay. And then 2007, we started the channel. So that was the first prison YouTube channel. So you started a YouTube channel when you come out of Nick to tell your story, or did you get other people on? No, no, it was just, it was all my story. It was up to all that your point. story. Okay. Well, no, no, that, I, I, I'm telling like that because the prisoners were writing to me. Yeah. Because the prisoners all took me to one side because the blog became not just about the conditions, but about the prisoners' stories. Okay. And the prisoners started to get followings online and, and, and like fan mail and stuff and books sent to them. So they all took me to one side when I was getting released. Now, prisoners, when they're getting released, they say, I'm getting a job, I'm getting off the drugs, I'll stay in touch, I'll send you some books. And you don't hear from them again until six months later yeah. when they're re-arrested for drugs. Yeah. So they were understandably concerned that they would never hear from me again. Mm. And I said, look, I'm not like that, I'm going to stay in touch, send me your letters, I'll keep posting the letters online. And it got to the point where I was reading the letters out as well. Yeah, okay. uh, and, and to this day, I'm, there's one of the guys, T-Bone, big black guy who was using his skills as a US Marine to stop prison rape. Mm. And he's to this day is still writing to me. He's getting released in just over a year from now. And he's an amazing guy, entire body covered in scars from all of his life and death fights. Um, did, you ever, did you ever have the fear of getting raped in prison? Prison rape is so common, you have to go to a rape class to get taught how not to get raped. You're joking, man. No, no, no. Under Prison Rape Elimination Act, PRIA, they have to take you to the rape class. To and learn how not to get raped. Surely you just... No, so that the jail can say, we've shown them the rape class, tick the box, it's completely meaningless, it's just how the law is. We've got to go and do it. I mean, on the way there, the, the prisoners were joking, what they're going to do, give us rape kits. Did, did anyone come on to you? Oh, yeah, yeah, that happened a lot. Um, let me how was it, so if someone come on to you how, would you, how would you react? The thing is, you've got to have... Uh, Gallo's sense of humour. Yeah. So in that first year in the Towers Jail medium security, gay play and Peter gazing are quite common. Say that again. Gay. Gay play. Yeah. And, and Peter gazing. Peter gazing. What's Peter gazing? Like staring at guys' dicks in the shower. Oh, okay. A lot of guys have got tattoos all over the dicks and they're showing them off. Now, it, it, now the rules around this depend upon the gang leaders. I'll yeah. give you an example. So people, they hear my story 
and they see that that's the rules, the gang rules in Arizona, and they think that someone else's story in Florida or somewhere else is different from that, so I must be making this shit up. But every state's got different rules. And not only that, it depends who the leaders are that enforces the rules. So we had a gang leader in our building, right? And in, as I described, there was four living areas, mm. gun tower and guard mm. tower in the middle. There was a fellatio show going on at night for a period of time whereby a white inmate was getting gobbled by a transgender Native American prisoner. And he would do it in full view of our building. Mm. So every night, the inmates would say he's doing it again. And they start just this running commentary of just this crude, obscene, mm. funny. But it kind of breaks the ice in this yeah. place. But what happened was, a shot caller came from Buckeye Prison into our building, into our pod. And he said that that white boy was you know, disrespecting the race and he wasn't a solid wood. And sent word over that that guy, if he didn't stop it immediately, he was going to get smashed. And mm. it stopped immediately. Mm. So there's... What did you do if someone comes on to you? All right, I was fortunate enough that that never happened to me. Okay. But there was a situation when I got moved over to Max Security. It was nearly all murderers in there in the white race. It was 30 people in those in that area. 10 blacks, 10 Mexicans, 10 whites. And the cellmate next door, he was a massive big guy. And um, I went over there to talk to him one day. And I got a sense that he was thinking of what you just said. Yeah. And I got out of there before he made his move. Yeah. There was another guy who was a Mexican mafia hitman who um, 50 grand murder for hire guy who I started playing chess with and he was bisexual and he was sending me love letters and trying to get me to do strip chess and strip yoga. But I would just crack jokes right back at him. Yeah. And it was this funny thing we had going. Yeah. So if a stranger comes up to me, it's not going to happen. You know, I'm going to fucking get the fuck out of there. Yeah. But with my mate Frankie, who's also dead now. You'll turn it into humor. You turn it into humor and it diffuses yeah, okay, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had guys who I knew who would jump on my bunk and spoon me. Yeah. Or I'd spoon them just for a laugh. Yeah. And it diffuses it. Mm. Yeah. So that if you compared like the UK prisons to what you're in, mm -hmm. what sort of level are we talking here? Are we talking like the Arizona? You're talking like 10 out of 10 violence, brutality, lifestyle in there versus like the UK prison, the toughest UK prisons. What, what sort of levels are we looking at here? When I spoke to the prisoners, I think it was Wandsworth, the guard said it was the first time they went back to their cells and didn't complain about anything. What? what? So you, you you now go into prisons and talk to prisoners? I tell them what I've told you today. So when? So, right. Okay. But I've been to HMP Portland today. Way yeah. enough. Okay. That's why I'm here. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, when did National Geographic Channel get hold of you and say I want to do a documentary on you? They didn't, right? I got a hold of them. Yeah. And because their biggest audience is America, and it's banged up abroad, they yeah. said you're not abroad. You're in America. So I said, all right, well. I know people have been in prison abroad and I started to send them people over the years. Yeah. And then what happened was their um, charter changed and they were looking for some American stories and because mm. I'd helped them, I was at the top of the list. Mm. So that's how I got and on. What was your one called? What was your episode called? So in England, it's called Banged Up Abroad, Raving Arizona. In America, it's called Locked Up Abroad, okay. Raving Arizona. So in England, anyone listening now can go Banged Up Abroad, oh. Raving Arizona. Okay. So then I've, re I've also done a second documentary with National Geographic it's called How E Busted the Bull in mm. relation to Sammy the Bull Gravano. Mm. And it's, it features my ecstasy ring versus his ecstasy ring. Mm. But he wasn't running it. It was Son that was running it. Mm. He was kind of brought in as the big name by the prosecutor. Mm. 
and I've, I'm, I'm work, we're doing a, another big documentary on another huge channel, 90 minute one, it's about the Gravano family and my family. They sent like a 20 people camera crew to my hometown. My mum was like, what is going on? Yeah. She's got like two people gonna show up. <laughs> Yeah, it was a, it was a massive. So what uh, else is so what else you done over the last sort of fifteen years? What have you done since you've come out of Nick in Arizona and back here? Because I've seen your your YouTube channel is massive, your podcast is massive. Have you written a load of books? What else? What else have been going on in your world? Yeah, yeah. They call me Wildman. Called me the robot. That was his nickname for mm -hmm. me. If I'm not asleep, <laughs> then I'm just fucking doing work. Yeah. Um, so I've written fifteen books. I've got two more coming out. You've written fifteen books. Yeah. I've got two more coming out. We've got um, my most recent one was Who Killed Epstein, Prince Andrew or Bill Clinton. We've got CIA. Uh, you write, do you write all these books yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, fair play. I'm prolific. We've got um, Sit Downs with Gangsters is coming out in the new year. Mm. We're going to be officially announcing that this month with the publisher. And that's 10 of my hardest hitting podcast guest stories of being in prison. Yeah. It's a free book series. There's going to be Sit Downs with Gangsters sit downs with female gangsters and sit downs with murderers mm. yes yeah, so i'm really looking forward to that and then i'm hoping by christmas time my next book is going to be out it's called elite predators from jimmy savile and lord mountbatten to jeffrey epstein and Ghislaine maxwell jesus because our mission statement on our channel is end the war on drugs end mass incarceration yeah. take all those resources yeah and go after the pedophiles yeah they tell us they don't have the resources go after pedophiles learning as to why these guys were on heroin, living with heroin users for six years, 90% of them injecting heroin. What, in Nick? Yeah. yeah. Before that, I, I fought heroin users. They're out snatching granny's purses, yeah. burglar yeah. houses, lock them up for a key. They're like trolls who live on the bridges. Yeah. They were nearly all victims of pedophiles or thrown away as kids. What, people who are taking heroin? Yeah. What of the trauma when they were a kid they haven't dealt this with? This is why they're doing and it. And that's why they're numbing the pain. And we've interviewed hundreds of people since, and they've told me that as well. Wow. So you've got this trajectory to prison. Yeah. You've got the men who are molested. They're not given the tools to deal with it. They yeah. internalize it. They get on the drugs, self-medication, to deal with the trauma. The women do the same, but the men go into drug dealing, trafficking, drugs, robberies, bank robberies, that kind of thing. The women go into sex work, shoplifting, that kind of thing. Yeah. And they all just end up in the prison system. And yet the paedophiles don't get any fucking sentences at all. Yeah. They get slaps on the wrist. That's the bit I don't understand. And they understand. create hundreds of victims. Yeah, that's the bit that bugs the shit out of me. When you hear paedophiles, they go, oh, they've got four years for doing that, that, that. Someone's got banged up and done a, got a 12 for a cocaine deal or a cannabis deal or whatever it may be are you are you, are you, you, you can report a paedophile to the police yeah. they won't fucking go to house someone smells weed coming out of that house yeah. they'll get SWAT team raided yeah. this is not what we are paying the police to do and we have interviewed cops wonderful people who've come on the podcast and said I signed up to get the pedos signed up to yeah. get the murders and I was assigned to infiltrate a student group yeah. get them on drugs and arrest them to make my arrest quotas. They've got arrest quotas in America. Jesus Christ. They get more money from drug arrests. Yeah. And they get more funding. So what are your thought what are your thoughts on drugs and legalization of Complete drugs? Legalization in the UK. I just spoke I just spoke at the Oxford Union and um, I spoke there five years ago on a similar thing. And I think it was like the vote was 50-50. We smashed it. Our vote was a hundred plus versus fifty on the nays. The young generations are our hope. 
They get all this information offline. They know the war on drugs is a, is a complete shakedown and a charade and arresting almost a million young people a year in America for weed possession at the peak of the war on drugs. No, no, the whole the whole war on drugs is, is, is utter hypocrisy. Mm. You what know, about the war on drugs? You keep going back to America. I'm more interested in the UK. Well, we're following the Americans. Why aren't so, we following the Scandinavians? Scandinavians got the lowest reoffending in the world. Yeah. But they rehabilitate Why is that? them. Because they re rehabilitate them, give them job, job skills, give them education. They don't come back. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, brilliant what you've done brilliant what you've achieved you know mm. mad story thank you and uh, hopefully moving forward you don't get all this craziness following you about I know that's a good observation yeah mate and what the holy man told me yoga meditation so same what, focus so what's your what's your world today your world today is just to keep pushing the YouTube pushing the podcast enjoying what you're doing you just mentioned yoga so, so there. And I was mercenary, wasn't I, when I was in my teen, late teens. Greed Are you still is, using? Greed is Are good. Are you clean? No, man. Yeah, No way. Clean. I work yeah. in drugs education. Yeah, okay. Um, so I was mercenary when I was in my late teens. Greed is good. Fuck, I'll be fucked in the business world. Got to be a millionaire by the time I fuck or else I'm going to die, that attitude. Yeah. Now I'll just wake up with a smile on my face. Yeah. I look out the balcony. The squirrels are lined up waiting for me to throw the monkey nuts. Yeah, mate. Watch them spinning around. Go to the gym, do my yoga. Being mindful, isn't it? Being mindful. Yeah, mate. Yeah, totally. I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. Yeah. I can see it. Yeah, thanks. I can see it. Thank no, you. it's nice. Yeah, yeah, cheers. Sean, before we finish up, where can people find you? All my socials, all my books, just under my name, Sean Atwood, S-H-A-U-N-A-T-T Wood. Yeah. Yeah. Sean, I thoroughly enjoyed this, mate. Thanks for coming into the studio. I really do appreciate it. Yeah. It's an eventful life you certainly live for a young lad from uh, Witness. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, mate. Your story as well is just mind-blowing. Yeah. <laughs> really appreciate it. You're Don't a gentleman. You, yeah. Good man. Cheers. Cheers, yeah. fella. Arizona prison handshake, right? So you've got a bump fist now as well. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Take cheers. it easy, mate. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Cheers, fella. Yeah.